what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode, is it 16? Yes, episode 16 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your producer and host, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show. This is part two of our chat with Joe Stuber about his favorite comedy of all time and one of my favorites too, I think. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. The boys are mixing it up with our favorite monsters. A universal production, and man, it is so good. And this chat, I had a lot of fun doing with Joe. Now, Joe is one of the co-hosts of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones segment of the IndieCast, the premier Indiana Jones podcast. You can find the IndieCast at theindiecast.com. They've also got a Facebook group, as does the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. You'll look them up on Facebook. Tell them Monster Kid Radio sent you. If you like what Joe had to say, let them know over there or let us know by emailing us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or calling our voicemail line, which is 503-479-5MKR. Now, in part two of our chat, we're going to talk a little bit about the performances and the characters that are outside of the Abbott and Costello and monster categories in this film. We're going to talk about the women. We're going to talk about the leading man that was thrown into the mix for, well, who knows what reason, really. And we're going to talk about the fantastic ending of the film. Actually, this film has a couple of fantastic endings. We're going to talk about them all here in this chat. Big thanks to Joe for taking the time to talk with me here on Monster Kid Radio. This was actually the very first recording session I'd ever done for this podcast. We recorded this many, many months ago before I even launched the show. So, Joe, you were part of a grand experiment to see if something like this would work. I found it entertaining. I hope you guys and gals find it entertaining as well. And I hope you were entertained by the opening music, the song Footprint from the Retroactive Gamma Rays. The song appears by permission of the band. It is from their album Activate, and you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show. All right, let's get on to part two of the chat with Joe Stuber about the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein right after this. Tired of going to lame comic cons and sitting around with smelly, moldy comic book boxes and the odor of really creepy cosplayers? Well, you don't have to go there anymore. Connecticut Comic Con with two A's is back on August 24th, 2013 at the Marriott Hotel in Trumbull, Connecticut. Join us at Connecticut Comic Con and be part of the coolest con in the entire Northeast. Toys, toys, collectibles, collectibles, sci-fi, sci-fi, cosplay contest, all at Connecticut Comic Con. August 24th, Trumbull Marriott has an all-star lineup of comic creators: Mark Bagley, Ron Garner, Tom Palmer, Billy Tucci, Chris Giarusso, Joe Staten, Tom DeFalco, and many more surprises. From stormtroopers to Batmobiles, bat cycles to land speeders, they'll all be there at Connecticut Comic Con, August 24th, Trumbull Marriott. Looking for that rare action figure? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Looking for that comic book to complete your collection? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Want a piece of original artwork to hang on the wall? You'll find it at Connecticut Comic Con. Want to dress up and hang out with your cosplaying friends? You'll find it where? At Connecticut Comic Con! Connecticut Comic Con. It is your destiny. So join us and be part of the fun at Connecticut Comic Con, Saturday, August 24th, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Marriott Hotel in lovely Trumbull, Connecticut. 
More details can be found at www.comiccon.com. Join us. It's sure to be another crowd pleaser. Connecticut Comic Con! Well, you know, you mentioned uh, the actresses, the, the two women earlier, and we haven't talked about them. I wanted to get your read off of them. You got Sandra Mornay and Joan Raymond, you know, played by Lenore Albert and Jane Randolph, respectively. What did you think of our two, I guess, leading ladies? One's definitely a femme fatale yeah. type. Yeah. Oh, they're both using Costello, but yeah, one's, one's, one's a good girl, one's a bad girl. So yeah. it's, uh, I thought they were great. I mean, first of all, they're stunning, which, you know, you find that in every Evan Costello film. I mean, they, they really cast pretty well. But I, I just thought there's a lot more depth to these characters in this one. I mean, the only one that really doesn't is, uh, was it Stevens? Was that the, uh, the the lab assistant, Sanders' assistant. Yeah, and he's the one that kind of sticks out for me as, as kind of not really belonging. You know, one no, of these things is not like the other. He's a plot point. I mean, he's yeah. kind of a throwaway character in it. But I thought the the, the two actresses were great. I mean, they, uh, you know, especially um, Lenore Albert who who played uh, Sandra. Oh yeah, I, I thought she was fantastic in it because it's almost like two different characters when she's you know she's. Uh, you know, coming on to Costello and you know, trying to, to manipulate him, and then all of a sudden there's this whole sinister thing that comes. And you're like, oh, she's in with Dracula, okay. Uh, yeah. And then it just gets really creepy uh, at the end when you know she she is under a spell, and then you know he bites her, and she becomes a vampire as well. So you've got that. But yeah, I thought uh, Jane Randolph was great as well so, as the insurance agent. I thought she was a lot smarter than Stevens. <laughs> much better character. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So I, I would want to know, though, what was in, in it for uh, Mornay? What was in it for her before she gets bit by Dracula? You know, she's on board with helping Dracula out. Did he promise her something? You know, was she going to be? I got that they were kind his... of using each other. I mean, yeah. I think she, he had the monster. She had the know-how. And I think they both want it. Whatever it is, they want to control the monster. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think she, she has Frankenstein's formula. So, but he needs her to be able to do, he can't do the surgery. So he needs her to do that. He's got the monster, and he's been able to control it with that little ring or the little device to get her, get him from point A to point B. So I think they're just kind of using each other. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, what she doesn't get is he's Dracula. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could be a doctor and femme fatale and have all, but seriously, really, you're dealing with Dracula. He's, you know, Dracula. Yeah, Haven't you seen the previous that. movies? Come on. <laughs> you know how this ends. Think. Look, Costello knows who he is. Yeah. This is not going to go well for you. you know, there is I a moment my eyes when and like, and, and you're gone. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying that's how you know. He once he once he looks into your eyes, that's it. She's yeah. gone. There, there is a moment right when he does finally bite her. First of all, it's probably where the most uh, glaring film flub in this whole thing oh. is. Is <laughs> it's in front of a mirror and you Oops. see him. Yeah, you know, you see his reflection, which is unfortunate. I'm sure they weren't really thinking about. About it at the time. Yeah, uh, it happened in one of the other Dracula movies too, didn't it? Or, or one of the other sequels? You know, it might, it might have happened, but like there's that moment in the very first film when Van Helsing shows the mirror and you don't see the reflection. So right. it kind of establishes that it's something to look for. But yeah, you see it and that. whatever. I mean, we kind of move on. But what you do see in the reflection is uh, Mornay enjoying it. There's this this look of yeah. bliss and she kind of gets this smile on her face as she's being bit by Dracula. I'm yeah. like, man, that's more than your yeah. typical Evan Costello film. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't see that in, in many of the other ones. So, yeah, there's, there's another element. But again, they're taking this very seriously. That, that's what I love about the script is that it, it's bouncing back. When, when it's in horror, it's in horror. When it's in comedy, it's in comedy. And so they take both seriously. Definitely. Uh, I also like the two women quite a bit. And you mentioned Stevens. I, he just really kind of stuck out as he's there. Yeah, there's a lot of those characters in Evan Costello. Because obviously with Evan Costello, it's, it's about them. And then there's, there's kind of a plot that goes around and there's these other characters and there's usually a guy and a girl and they fall in love and then Evan Costello do their wackiness. Uh, but yeah, it's, this, this one is really kind of lame. He, to me, he's the only weak point of the film. Right. Uh, now, fortunately, he doesn't have much to do, so we don't have to sit through him too much, but yeah. No, not until the very end, but yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's there. He, he just, he, I think he's almost, Maybe a little bit of exposition, like he's there for some exposition. He's there to kind of say what we're thinking or to gather some information that wouldn't typically be spoken. That's true, yeah, because by the time he becomes relatively important, uh, both Abbott and Costello are both on board with believing there are monsters there. So we kind of need that one, I don't know, I don't know, I... He, he's a plot. To, he, he, I mean, he helps them out, and he, he. I think he's there just to. But I, I think that could have been handled by by Jane Randolph's character. I think sure. a lot of that could have been handled. So, um, but yeah, again, I think in the castle scenes, when when they're trying to explain why they're trying to get Costello's brain and all these different things, I think there's some of that that you need him there for. It, it's probably just a scripting thing. Yeah. They're like, oh, we, we really, it wouldn't make sense for him to say this out loud or to her, so let's just drop this other character. Plus, you get the, you need a guy, you know, the handsome actor, the chiseled, you know, good looks. It's missing that, so they put him in there for that. <laughs> Are you saying Luke Casello didn't bring that? We needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bud's, I mean, you know, Bud is rather handsome. I mean, you look at some of the early films, too. I mean, he could, he could have easily been a leading man. Yeah, I could um, see that. But, you know, they, that's not, that's, Thank goodness he didn't. Do, yeah, no kidding. That, we wouldn't have had movies uh, like this. Could you imagine? I mean, we wouldn't have had 36 Evan Costello features if they if those two had not gotten together. I mean, it's just that that would have been awful. So thank goodness so, they found each other. So you're more familiar with the Abbott and Costello uh, filmography than I am. After this film and after the Meet the Monsters, I mean, is that pretty much what they did at this point? Were just the Meet the Monster types, or did they do other? non-horror, non-monster type comedies as well. They, it, it was a good mix. I mean, they yeah. kind of mixed it up a little bit. I mean, this definitely rejuvenated their career uh, and rejuvenated interest. They, I mean, they were sort of off the box office radar and this, I think, brought them back to like number three uh, in the box office world. Uh, but yeah, they had um, let's see, it was uh, Meet Frankenstein. I'm just looking at their, their list here. You know, They went to Mexican Hayride, Africa Screams and then they went to meet the killer Boris Karloff, which at that point, you, Boris Karloff, I'm sure after the success of this film, was like, oh, this isn't too bad. Let me do two films with these guys. Because <laughs> he did, yeah. uh, he did uh, that, and then he also did Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, but yeah, he had Invisible Man, but then they did uh, Coming Around the Mountain, Jack and the Beanstalk, Lost in Alaska. So uh, okay. Go to Mars, you know, that was a crazy one. Uh, Keystone Cops. But yeah, you're definitely kind of winding down at this point, but... The best of the lot were the were the meet the monster movies. I mean, those are okay. the coolest ones. You know, we talked earlier. Do we consider this part of the franchise? That sort of thing. There's a novel out there by Jeff Roven called Return of the Wolfman. It is currently out of print. It came out in the late '90s, and it was licensed by Universal. And it was basically written as a sequel to 
this film as well as all the other universal mov- uh, monster movies as well except it was set in then modern day and it, it picks up almost immediately after Evan Costello meet Frankenstein brings him up to modern day and then kind of explains what happened to the Abbott and Costello characters and I, I thought it was very well done in that you know the author says that because of their experiences Wilbur and Chick changed their name and went somewhere else and and, and kind of implies that all the other Abbott and Costello meet movies are the same characters they just had such traumatizing experiences they changed their name moved somewhere else and started over again and then ran into another monster so you know, I'm like, I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. Are, are their character names even? Uh... They're just briefly mentioned as Wilbur and Chick, and that's it. You know, so it's it's not their story. It's really more about the Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein. And like I said, the novel's out of print, but if you can get your hands on it, I recommend. It. I thought it was a great read. Okay. It did spawn two sequels that are not nearly as good. Okay. Uh, in fact, they're pretty terrible. But I do like the idea of just bringing all the universal monsters together. In fact, at one point they mentioned how the, the creature from Creature from the Black Lagoon might have seen, been seen in a swamp somewhere. So they kind of you know, grab That's that funny. and bring that in. So Yeah, I was, I'm just looking over some of the notes for some of the, the subsequent films. It's like, uh, even Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. They're called uh, Casey Edwards and Freddie Phillips. So. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> all this traumatization and, you know, it's going to change. <laughs> hey, speaking of names, one other thing I want yeah. to ask about. Wolfman. Two words, mm-hmm. one word. Uh, you know, I, as a title, I've seen it as, as two words. So that's how I've always written it and seen it. Okay. Because in the titles, the opening titles to this movie, Evan Caselmi Frankenstein, it's one word. Do they put it together? Yeah, they put it together as one word. Huh. Yeah, because I'm, I'm actually, uh, I actually have it up here while we're talking about it. So just kind of referencing as we're you know, going through. But it's like, uh, you know, they get, and he gets top billing. So yeah, Lon Chaney, The Wolfman, one word. Of all the people playing it straight and taking it serious, Lon Chaney Jr. seems to be the one taking the most serious out of all of them. I mean, he just seems like he's so down. He's tired of living with this curse, and he's so exhausted. I can't watch those scenes without feeling for the guy. Well, he's got like four or five full moons consecutively every month. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. That would take a lot out of you, I suppose. What, what is up with I mean, again, I love the movie. It's one of my favorites of all times. But really, that many full moons in a row? Don't yeah, think. yeah, that's that's true. You know, I mean, it happens what two, three times in this film alone, right? I th- yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bunch. Yeah, so you know, he, he kind of keeps going through this. You know, the poor guy. So yeah, I just thought that was that was kind of interesting as well. But yeah, he he does he, but I don't know. And again, it's not important to the plot, but it's like he's he's kind of trying to warn Evan Costello or whoever gets these these packages, McDougal or whoever ends up with these, that these monsters can't get together. There's something bad is going to happen of, of this, and he's the film actually even opens with him in London, right? And he's trying to call. The, was, I thought it was another cool thing where they're like, "Hey, it takes time to call from London to the states." It's like, wow, whole different world back then. That uh, it was. He, he's like trying to get a hold of them, and um, that's a great scene where he's he actually gets Costello on the phone, and he's trying to explain this to him as the full moon hits. And so he becomes the Wolfman on the phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you're going to have to get your dog off the phone. <laughs> Costello starts barking at him. That <laughs> is, you know, I'm sorry. If, if you can't laugh at that, you don't have a pulse. That's a <laughs> great scene. When he's you know, just like barking into the phone. There's comedy there, too. Uh, there's comedy, definitely. But if you watch the scene from uh, you know Talbot's point of view, as he's talking on the phone, you can see the, the light, the moonlight from the, the blinds creeping up the wall as he's speaking. Yeah, so there's this, yeah. this sense of you know, 
dread, this tension coming, and then it's released with the barking on the phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's so many, you know, jokes that they're able to make off of that. And it's funny, too, when he eventually does meet up with Costello and he is the Wolfman, just how slow he moves through the, he's like stalking him. It's, instead of this, you know, and then all of a sudden, as Costello's able to exit the door, then he just becomes this rampaging Wolfman again. He did seem to hold back a little bit. Like, he, you know, getting a little long in the tooth there. Maybe he's just tired. Yeah, or maybe he didn't want to hurt, you know, maybe that was Talbot coming through and didn't want to hurt Lou, but he still wanted go. to trash something. So, you know, maybe yeah. you've got that coming into play. But we'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, great visuals. I mean, so many great sets in this. Yeah, I mean, you almost had, like, I'm, you know, kind of looking at some of the scenes now with, with Talbot, you know, with uh, Lon Chaney as Talbot, and just that, that film noir kind of look all the, you know, yeah. the dark shadows and the lights and boy this just visually this is a stunning film it really is so 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 much more than your typical Abbott Costello film agreed agreed now it was just released on blu-ray mid 2012 in august do you I have it on blue yet no i don't have it on blue yet i watched uh i have the dvd the um the box set uh, Best of Abbott and Costello. It's on Volume 3, but there's actually a really cool, before I forget, uh, there's actually on Volume 4 of that series, there are several documentaries. One of them is Abbott and Costello Meet the Monsters. So, I mean, go out and get, I don't know if that's on the Blu-ray or not. I believe it is. Oh, is it? Well, the, yeah, get the Blu-ray then, because that is a great documentary. It shows all those behind-the-scenes uh, clips where, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're, you know, Strange breaks up on the set, you know, Lou sits on his lap, and you know, he hits his <laughs> hand, and you can see this smile crack. A little yeah. bit on the monster say, and a lot of those great behind-the-scenes shots that we're talking about. So, yeah, really go out and get that. But how how does the blue look? I, I mean, I just had the upconvert. I watched the DVD on a Blu-ray player, and it, the, yeah, I mean, they great. didn't do a huge restoration. Nothing like you know what Universal did with their release earlier this year or in 2012. Uh, and there's really not a lot of extra special features. I mean, you've got the the commentary from Greg Mank, which I believe is on the DVD as well, and then that meet the monsters but that's about it i mean it looks good i'm glad to have it yeah uh but i don't think there's a huge step up outside of just the typical up converting okay so wait and get a cheaper version or get it off the i i, I thought the dvd on a blu-ray player looked great i mean i just yeah. I watched it this week and i thought it looked really really good definitely so. now i didn't watch the meet the monsters documentary recently is there footage out there of the accident that broke Glenn Strange's ankle? No, and I got two two different versions of that because that's the you know for anybody who hasn't seen it or wants to watch it again for the first time, <laughs> we'd see all these different <laughs> things. But Lon Chaney plays the monster. If you watch at the end of the movie when when Sandra goes, and again a lot of dark moments at the end here, the deaths, and he picks her up and throws her out of the of the lab window. Mm -hmm. um, apparently there was. I got one story was that he tripped on a cord or one of the cables for the camera, and the other one was that they threw the stunt woman out, and then the glass didn't break, and she kind of bounced back and knocked him into one of the cables or something. But regardless of anything, he broke his ankle or twisted his ankle on the set, and so couldn't shoot that scene for a while. So that's actually Lon Chaney as the monster throwing her out the window, and he whips around. You could tell it's him. Yeah. He's shorter. You know, it looks different, but yeah, and, and unless you know that ahead of time, it's so fast. Uh, but that's actually him. He stepped in because they all sort of played the monsters, you know, different monsters, you know, at different right. times. But well, Cheney played the most. I mean, he he yeah. was obviously the Wolfman, and then he also did Son of Dracula, and then three Mummy films. Uh, the only thing he didn't do was the Invisible Man or anything from the creature films. So yeah, so I mean, you got that. So yeah, there was a mishap. But then I guess after a few days, 
uh, Strange was able to come back in. So then it cuts to the other scene where he's chasing the boys through the castle, and that's all him. Right. And, and you get that uh, great joke, too, I, where they're, like, blocking the door. Yeah. <laughs> and you get the door opening the wrong way gag. Mm-hmm. Which, and and <laughs> which, the other thing was, go ahead. I mean, it's not, and I'm not trying to downplay it. Maybe it's the wrong word. It's not the most sophisticated of humor. No. But it's oh, still it's brilliant comedy. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's fun. It's Benny Hill at that point. I mean, you're yeah. just, you know, they're just, it's Scooby-Doo, you know, but it's, but it's, it's good stuff. But I tell you, there's one scene where Strange punches through the door. The boys are on the other side of the door and he punches through one of them. If you look, he connects with Lou. Yeah. And they kept that take because Lou didn't want to be on the mark. I don't know if he missed the mark or wanted a, a, a better reaction, but he wasn't on his mark. And so when that fist comes through, he really connects. And the director kept the take. So when you look at him, he really looks like he gets clocked, and he does. Well, and that whole sequence at the end of the movie, it's just nonstop. I mean, you've got the, the antics with the boys and, and uh, Frankenstein's monster, and it's almost as if you've switched channels if you're not paying attention, because as soon as they leave the screen, in comes Dracula and the Wolfman, you know, doing their horror menacing thing back and forth, and it's scary. It's not comedy anymore. And then it, well, unless you consider Dracula throwing a flower vase at the Wolfman. And then, <laughs> And then they leave the screen and in come Abbott and Costello again. And now it's a comedy film and it's, it's just brilliantly paced. Yeah. It's, yeah. The choreography, everything, all the planning ahead of time. That, it, and again, the sets. We keep talking about the sets, but mm-hmm. that's what I think makes it. When you get those just sort of big hallways and you're, you're in the lab and the doors and everything and all the creatures are running around and everything. Uh, and yeah, it does go pure horror because, I mean, there are some dark moments where, you know, Sandra's thrown to her death, and uh, even the Wolfman when he's uh, when he takes Dracula out. I mean, he's in bat form at that point, but grabs him, la- leaps, snags out the window, death in the you know, death below. It's crazy stuff. Well, and then Frankenstein's monster's end is just stunning. When yeah. they set him on fire and he walks off the, and that was a long lingering shot of just this burning Frankenstein monster walking down the dock and just, I mean, it's intense and it's scary yeah. and. Stevens finally had something to do. Yes. <laughs> Enough gas, really. Like how many, how much gasoline does he pour on that pier? <laughs> gallons. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. He's like, and he's well, enough all to over burn himself. the monster. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing. Did you, you know, uh, because Frankenstein, you know, fire bad. I mean, is right. he like, but he kind of goes toward it. Is it, is he trying to get Stevens? Is he just doesn't get what's going on there? But yeah, he like marches right into the fire. It's, it's a wonderful visual. I mean, it's horrible. You see this thing getting burned alive or yeah. unalive or whatever, but it's just a great stunning visual that, you know, this movie is filled with so many wonderful dark moments. I think the director, Charles Barton, did a wonderful job of balancing, you know, the horror with the comedy. And it's something that I enjoy watching. I'm going to probably watch it once a year now that I've got it, you know, it's part of my collection. I didn't have it on DVD before I picked it up on Blu-ray. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, that's a great ending. I mean, a little, you know, you've got the, the sort of statue Frankenstein, you know, as they launch him into the, the flames and they're, you know, they're grabbing sticks, you know, on the feet, they're moving the feet with, you know, rods and then, you know, it kind of walks through. But uh, if you get a chance to watch a documentary, they, they talk about, shooting that scene and how he like collapses through the pier at the end and uh yeah some really cool stuff i mean so there's a there's a lot that went into this a lot mm-hmm. was riding on it and uh yeah, people loved it it was, it was such a huge success too at the box office 
you know, not bad for a movie that nobody really wanted to make, including Universal themselves. They weren't really too on, or Universal International at the time now, they yeah. weren't really too keen on the idea either. They wanted to make these classy pictures, but, you know, they got talked into it, and thankfully, you know, it paid off because it's such a great movie. Yeah, and I think, too, at the time, I mean, I, I could be wrong in this, but well, I mean, we talked about how Ivan Costello, there, it was kind of on the decline at that point. So something needed to, you know, pardon the pun, bring new blood into the... The, the genre. <laughs> oh. But, oh, sorry. Did I just? Well, hey, look. If you can have Snuffleupagus, I can have that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, also the Universal Monsters franchise too. I mean, that was. I mean, it had some lame sequels. How how much life did that have in it? So well, I it, mean, it was pretty much done. The, yeah. they, they hadn't made any of these movies for three years. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of helped both out. It did, and it's such a good movie. And if you guys don't already have it or haven't seen it recently. Listeners, please, you're missing out. You got to watch this again. Oh yeah, I mean it's it is a true classic, and, and to me again, it's it's my favorite comedy of all time. It's absolutely my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, but I think it it's kind of like one of the because we you know we do the indie cast and, and talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders is flawed. I mean, if you pull it apart, there's mistakes all through it. Sure. I mean, you see, you know the you know the the when Indy you know shoots the truck. You know, shoots the driver in the truck and the truck flips over. You see the, you know, the big uh, telephone pole sticking out of the bottom and they flip it over. Uh, you know, there's a lot of gaps and mistakes. There's, you know, guys smoking cigarettes and jeans and t-shirts walking behind him, you know, and he's, you know, mourning the loss of Marion. So, I mean, there's uh, people a, are eating flies. I mean, yeah, the flies are going <laughs> into people's mouths. That just always creeped me out as a kid. I, you know, that's yeah. strange, but so it, it's a flawed film, but to me, it's a perfect film. It's the perfect film. And so I kind of look at Evan Costello meet Frankenstein the same way is that it, look, if you sit there and pick it apart, I mean, there's a flaw, you know, Frankenstein's electrode comes off his neck at one point, you know, he's like, leans over and it pops off his neck. So, I mean, there's a lot of different flaws in it, but to me, it's a perfect film. It, it does what it needs to do. It's a perfect script. It's engaging. It does everything it sets out to do. And it's all these years later, we're still talking about it. And it's on Blu-ray and people are seeing it in the movie theaters. So it had to do something right. Indeed. I mean, it's a great setup, and then once things start happening at the castle, it's just one hell of a ride. And even the ending. We haven't even talked about the best, 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 yeah. best, 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 best part of the movie. That ending is crazy. It, it's the best <laughs> ending to any Abbott and Costello movie, and one of the best endings of any movie ever. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that's you know might seem hyperbolic, but that how great is it? Well, go ahead. You, no, no I want to know what you're talking about because there's a couple of nice moments at the end. Are we talking about the very, very end? Very, 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 very end, right before the credits roll, right before the boys jump right in the water. <laughs> you get yeah, Vincent I mean, we got to see another monster, right? Or maybe yeah. not see him. <laughs> it's just, they're sitting there talking. Well, you know, all the monsters are gone. We don't have to worry about that. And this cigarette just floats up in the air. And the invisible mm -hmm. man has been in the boat the whole time waiting for them. And it's Vincent Price's voice. How great is that? And then all of a sudden, obviously, that I mean, launches Evan Costello meet the Invisible Man years later. Not with Vincent Price, but yeah, I mean, he was uncredited as Vincent. Or Vincent Price was uncredited in the film, but he had done uh, one of the Invisible Man films for Universal at least. Yeah. So to have him throw his voice in the mix, oh. I mean, when are you going to have Price and Lugosi's presence in the same film? Right. I mean, when you're sitting there watching, you go, "Oh, I just saw one of the greatest movies ever," and then all of a sudden, it it just gets better when you think it's over. And that is such a classic ending. It's a perfect punchline to the whole movie. So sorry if you haven't seen it, but, you know, you've had some time. I mean, sorry, listeners, you've had some time to see this, but 
I guess we, you know, the statute of limitations for spoilers, I think, expired. Yeah, on this I one. mean, I think once you once you've gone past the fifty year mark, I think you're good. You know, as Joe said, it's a perfect film. It's one of the best horror comedies ever. I mean, I'll throw that out there, and I know that sounds very broad, but it really is one of the best horror comedies out there. And it's readily available. It's not one of these things that you have to really search high and dry to find it. No, it's yeah. easy to get. So. Yeah, go get it. I mean, that, do yourself a favor and just, just put it, you know. It's so entertaining. And, and again, when you see, this is Abbott and Costello. It, it's not them in their prime, but in this movie, it's them in their prime. I mean, for this for this particular movie. I mean, they, their career had, you know, peaked at a different time, a different time. But, man, this is classic Abbott and Costello stuff. You know, we keep saying that nobody wanted to make the movie, but once they started, they were on, and they gave some of the best performances I think I've seen in any of their movies. I, I agree. highly recommend it. Yeah, it's it just you know, there it just it brings an added dimension to them. I mean, I love the burlesque routines and how those you know who's on first and all those things that come in, but I mean, you can only do that for so long. And they did a lot on the television show afterward. This just took them to a different part of their career, and it, it's certainly memorable. Now, there's another novel out there um, called Bella Lugosi and the House of Doom by Dwight Kemper. And he uh, he's written a series of books. There's three of them in this series in which there are some madcap mystery adventures taking place during the production of some of these classic films. The first one in the, or the second one, the Bella Lugosi and the House of Doom, takes place during the production of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Kemper did some um, did an amazing amount of research. Uh, to pull a lot of the behind the scenes from the production in the movie into the book. Uh, and there are some wonderful moments between, I keep saying wonderful, but damn it, that's how this may, this movie makes me feel. <laughs> you know, there are some wonderful moments between Lugosi and, and Costello in this book that while I know never happened, because it's obviously, you know, a novel, it's fiction, I felt like the voice of the characters was right. Or they were they were strong enough that I could imagine these two characters having the conversations that they have about Costello's son's death and Lugosi's feelings about Universal and how he'd been used up by the studio system and forgotten. There are some touching moments in this novel that I believe could have happened. Oh, it so, sounds like a great read. Yeah, yeah, I would I would definitely recommend that as well. But not before y'all buy the movie or see no. the movie. <laughs> see the movie. Yeah, and it's, there's another one. I mean, some of the things I've been referencing is a book called Avin Costello in Hollywood. Uh, which kind of breaks down all their films, but some really great behind-the-scenes uh, shots. Uh, you know, with the, the strange as the Frankenstein monster with uh, Bud's son on his lap, and just this this great look on on Bud Junior's face, and you know, just seeing the kids on the set and some of these behind and and that documentary we talked about as well too. So watch the movie, then go read all about it and read all the behind-the-scenes stuff. It, it's some really really cool things. And then go watch the movie again. And then watch it again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Joe, I want to thank you for talking to me about this movie, man. It's It's been an honor and, a, and a, a privilege because I've been listening to what you do over the IndieCast for as long as you've been involved in the IndieCast. So, you know, it's been great. This is the first time we've actually chatted. So this has been great for me. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, that, you know, so how do people it's just I'm sitting, in a, I'm sitting in a room talking about it to myself. So at least this gives me... Makes me not look as crazy being able to talk to other people about it. <laughs> how, how do people find the Unicast and find what you do? Uh, if you well, we got a Facebook page, uh, the Further Adventures uh, of Indiana Jones. There's also the Indiecast Facebook page, uh, the Indiecasts.com. Uh, it's website. The Forcecast is part of the Forcecast. So Indiecast is on iTunes. 
Uh, so check them out. And then uh, if you like Indiana Jones, and especially if you like the further adventures of Indiana Jones, the comic book from the Marvel comic series back in the 80s, uh, shoot myself, uh, Keith, an email at thefurtheradventures at gmail.com and uh, let us know what your favorite issues are. And we're, we're recapping them and talking to all the people, that, that the artists, the writers, a lot of cool stuff. So we're having, we're having some fun with it just like you are. They do a great job. Uh, they get interviews with these artists and writers and jog their memory about comics that they made 20, <laughs> exactly. 25 years ago. And it's just fascinating discussions that you guys get into over there. So if anybody has a, even just a passing interest in Indiana Jones, and really you should have more than just a passing interest, but you if should. you have a passing interest in Indiana Jones, you need to check out what they're doing. Well, thanks so much. We, pr we appreciate it. Thanks, Joe, for being part of the show, and I can't wait to have you back to talk about something else down the line. And I can't wait to listen to the next installment of The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones over on the IndieCast. There are links to the IndieCast and the Facebook page for The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones over on the website in the show notes for this episode. So head over to monsterkidradio.net, and you'll see the links. Now, this episode is going out on Thursday, and a lot of people may already be on the road to Monster Bash, which is a con that I am not going to this year. I've never been. I've been to cons like Horror Hound Weekend. I've been to places like Crypticon, Norwest Con. I've done Zompire, the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Cthulhu Con, but I've never been to Monster Bash. Oh, man, and I can't wait until next year because I am trying to find a way to make sure that Monster Kid Radio or just Derek M. Cook all by myself, I'll leave my podcasting gear at home, will get to Monster Bash 2014. If anybody is headed to Monster Bash, I hope you guys have safe travels going to and coming home from. And I hope you guys have a wonderful time. And if you are going to Monster Bash, or if you're going to any convention for that matter, give us a call from the show. Our voicemail line again, 503-479-5MKR. Let us know how the convention's going. Tell us about your favorite guests. Heck, get one of the guests to call in and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you from any of the shows out there. On next week's show, I am welcoming Larry Underwood to talk about a John Agar classic. Who's Larry Underwood? Well, y'all might know him better by his horror host name. He is the award-winning Dr. Gain Green. He's going to be on the show to talk about what John Agar film? Tarantula from director Jack Arnold, Universal, the heyday of big bug monster movies, science fiction monster movies from the 50s. Can't wait to talk about that and share that recording with you guys next week. The week after that, I've got something a little different planned. Find us on Facebook, like us on Facebook. I'll announce it there first, and then I'll announce it here on the show next week. Remember, you can also find the band Retroactive Gamma Rays on Facebook. If you have any interaction with them, let them know Monster Kid Radio sent you. And let them know you heard them on this episode of the podcast. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. That, of course, does not extend to the song Footprint by the Retroactive Gamma Race. It appears on their album Activate. It appears on this episode with permission of the band. Talk to everybody next week. <laughs> <laughs>